You know, for over 11 years, Little Diva's balloon decorating has turned events into experiences, and celebrations have been turned into parties. Let Little Divas worry about making your event the best that it can be while you relax and enjoy it. Any event you can imagine, birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, family reunions, graduations, celebrations of life, any event that you can possibly imagine, Little Divas can bring it to life. They specialize in balloon sculptures, cake table archways, and doorway arches. Get a hold of Little Divas right now and make your celebration, reunion, or business function one that people will never forget. Call 606-791-5616. That's 606-791-5616. Or visit them on facebook.com forward slash Little Diva Party Decorations and see for yourself. Of course, delivery is always available for a slight additional charge. Little Divas, it's where memories begin. A production of Sloan Studios. The following may contain strong language and adult situations with depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. It was the turn of a new decade. 1990 offered promise to some people, and would offer a decades-long unsolved murder to one in particular. Davis County, Kentucky, sits along the Kentucky and Indiana border and has some 96,000 people that call it home. It's had the reputation as a leading producer of alcoholic drinks, specifically Kentucky bourbon, had that reputation for years. The southwestern part of the county has been a leader in the production of coal through the 1960s, and it's home to the county seat of Owensboro. Davies County is known for a lot of things, most of which its residents are proud of. But there are some who shun the darker times. Time. It's funny that we should put it like that. And time is an odd thing. It can drag on far longer than any of us would like. Our story, this story, begins on January 7th, 1990 in Owensboro, Kentucky. The same place where NASCAR legends Michael and Daryl Waltrip were born, along with acting legend Johnny Depp. It was on January 7th, 1990 that two rabbit hunters were out in a wooded area and they came across something that, well, to this day I'm sure they remember. They came across the naked body of a white male. They instantly contacted police who arrived at the scene not long after that and said that it was the worst thing they'd ever seen. That isn't an exaggeration either. Most cops who saw the remains stated as much. And to this day, over three decades later, this John Doe has still never been identified. Who was he? Why was he murdered? And by whom? These are the Mountain Mysteries, and this is episode 67, 36 Hours to Oblivion, the Mountain Mystery of the Davies County John Doe.
Over 24% of the 1.9 billion square acres in America alone, the mountains that so many people call home, also play host to some of the most staggering mysteries in the world. The missing. And she said, I knew I wasn't there anymore. The murdered. All my emotions just went blank, just like, just blank. And I still live with that today. I think about that so much today as he was in that water. Strange creatures. Whatever it was, it was standing up. I'm out here looking through the window now and I don't see anything. I don't want to go outside. I mean, it was a, nope, we need to get out of town. Unexplained lights and sightings. It does not look like an airplane. They come together and then they separate and they just keep doing this all the time. These stories may be strange. They may be sad. They may be odd but they are mysterious. These are the Mountain Mysteries, and now your host, Chris Sloan. It was cold that day, very cold. January 7th, 1990, and it was in Kentucky. Two rabbit hunters in the woods when they came across something they'll never forget. Now, this victim's body was found in an area and immediately upon stumbling on this person, they called the police. The victim had been shot six times with a 22 caliber long rifle in the arm, chest, and head. And, of course, as you can imagine, that resulted in his death. Yeah, but let's think about this for a minute. He was shot six times with a 22 caliber, but not before he was beaten with a blunt instrument about the face and chest to the point of being almost unrecognizable. Listen, when you looked at this guy's face, they tried to describe it as having been obliterated. Several teeth were knocked out, uh, bruising and disfiguration. Well, the brutality alone suggested that it was premeditated and that the abuse and murder of this person took place over a long period of time and then shot six times over overkill? That is a mild way of putting it. So let's think about who would do something like this and why. Well, the who is up in the air, but the why? Well, there's little doubt about it. This sounds like a hate crime. I mean, somebody had it out for this guy, but why? Well, at the time that they found him, his body lacked hands and feet. They had been cut off several of his teeth missing, and even more so complicating the identification process, a retouched post-mortem photo of the victim shows significant damage to the entire middle portion of the face. Like somebody beat this guy, and they beat him with rage. This is a rage killing, and most typically those are associated with issues of anger that is, it's a personal thing. I mean, even this guy's mouth and nose, and the killer also blackened at least one of his eyes. Now, the body was not decomposed, and that 
suggests that the murder had taken place only a matter of days beforehand. Based on the fact that his arms were tan compared to the rest of his body, the victim, it's hypothesized, was thought to be from outside of Owensboro, but it's believed that his killer was probably local. There was semen found on or in the victim's body, but attempts to use this evidence, if any, seems to have not yielded any real kind of leads. Now, when cops started looking into this, it was believed that the victim was killed as part of a satanic ritual sacrifice. At first, a witness living down the road from the wooded patch where he was found said that he saw a white and green Ford pickup truck, more than likely an early 70s model, driving in the same area on the evening before the body was found. Now, the cops were investigating the possibility that this was due to a serial killer named James Cable, and an accomplice that Cable had, identified as Philip Clopton. Some thought that they were responsible for this man's death after reporter Stephanie Sylvie discovered a possible connection back in 2004. You see, Cable was active in Kentucky during the 1980s, and like this man, a lot of Cable's presumed victims had been raped and dismembered, and some had been beaten to death. One of his victims was killed in Owensboro, too, so that made it worth noting and that all of Cable's confirmed victims, though, were female. This was a male. So that would have been completely off his M.O. But in April of 1990, shortly after the victim's discovery, Cable and Clopton kidnapped, raped, and tortured a 15-year-old girl from Jefferson County. But the girl managed to break free and killed Clopton in self-defense. Cable, shortly after that, was captured. He died in prison on December 3rd, 2013, and he never did confess to any of his crimes. So police stated that they would test the DNA that was found on this guy's body to see if it belonged to Cable. And the results of this testing, if it ever was conducted, well, they're unknown. Back in 2015, a spokesman for the Kentucky State Police uh, said that the last time that detectives received a possible lead in the case was in May when the department received information about a potential suspect in other killings. The lead was looked into through DNA evidence, but the police found out that there was no connection to the body found in Pleasant Valley Road, and it's not clear if he was referring to Cable. Back in 2007, it was announced that the victim had been identified as Scott Michael Morris. Now, Morris went missing from Indianapolis as a teenager in 1978, but... Further DNA testing back in 2010 showed that he had nothing to do with the Morris family, and he certainly was not Scott Michael Morris. This guy had curly brown hair with some gray on the temples that was about eight inches long. Either brown or blue eyes, sources are kind of different on that. Light complexion with a farmer's tan present on his arms, and he had natural teeth with fillings. Now, he did have on a pair of gold-toned men's prescription eyeglasses. This John Doe was thought to be somewhere between the age of 25 and 40 and stood around 5 foot to 5 foot 7, 8 inch long curly brown hair, weighed between 125 to 140, and he'd been dead for, the general consensus is about three days, but authorities said it could have been anywhere from one to seven. Now, that could mean that he possibly died in 1989. He was found January 7th. But 
again, the general consensus is about 36 hours. Speaking of death, he suffered an extremely violent one. He had been shot six times, raped, and they did find semen in his rectum. It had been tested, but it never yielded a match to any known offenders. And admittedly, I don't know if the trauma that this guy went through, the beatings, happened before he died or after. And I gotta say, I've seen some really brutal things during these episodes, but the savagery of this one? I've never seen anything like it. The decedent was beaten to the point that half of his face was caved in. I mean, they literally caved in his skull. And it caused what I can only, the best way I can describe it is a depression on his face. A lot of his teeth had been knocked out. There's images available from the coroner's office, but yeah, we're not going to put them on here. It's, um, well, to say it's gruesome is an understatement. Well, we go back and we top all this off. It was a telling detail to detectives what was found next. The man's hands and feet had been cut off, removed, indicating that the killers didn't want this guy to be identified. This seems like a hate crime of the 10th level. Whoever did this was angry at this guy. They were beyond pissed. So, when you put into fact that most murder victims knew their killer, I can't help but wonder if this guy knew the guy that killed him or the people that killed him. But they removed his hands, his feet, and a good part of his teeth. But there was no blood at the crime scene, so that makes it clear that he was murdered somewhere else. Well, I guess I don't have to say that a murder like this isn't exactly what you'd call commonplace, so police immediately got to work on trying to find the murderer and figure out who their victim was. But the most they got was a single witness who lived down the road from where John Doe was discovered. That comes back to the early model's 1974 pickup that somebody saw driving around that area. And that's where the trail went cold. And everywhere we've looked, we can find no more information on what happened between the years of 1990 and now. The most I could find was a link to a really small news article in a local paper in Owensboro from when the body was first discovered. And that feels really inefficient, given how the guy had been, for all intents and purposes, destroyed by his killers. As for any other information beyond the little bit I have already given you, that's everything that we can find from sites like unidentified wiki, various forums, and YouTube videos, and elsewhere. This story is surprisingly very bare bones when it comes to details, and I believe that that just goes to show how bizarre it really is. I mean, this is out on the fringes. Somebody killed this guy, and they didn't just kill him. It was overkill. Think about it. Shot six times, one time in the head would have done the job, let alone beating him to death, then anally raping him, and then another five shots among the head, chest, arms, wherever, and caving his head in. And then they removed his feet and his hands. That one's pretty easy to identify the reason as to why they did not want him identified. And sure enough, they've gotten their wish. You'd think that brutality would give it notoriety, but it's not the case here. Now, there are theories about as to why this happened. Number one, it was a hate crime. 
Well, that's a pretty popular theory. It goes that the John Doe was murdered by someone because he was a homosexual. Uh, Speaking from a personal level, I don't get that. I mean, why anybody would kill anybody else because of their sexual orientation. Uh, Most people I know would be like, they would simply say that they're not interested, that they don't pursue that particular lifestyle, and tell them, I don't want to hear about that again, or don't come on to me again, and then move on with their life. I mean, I guess it's not too surprising given the time period, though, if I'm wrong. Do correct me. Number two, some people think it could be revenge. And it is one of the most popular theories, and probably with good reason. The details of the murder indicate the crime was extremely personal in nature. Extensive damage to the face, multiple gunshot wounds to key parts of the body, like the head, and the removing of the hands and feet are all things that one would expect to see in a case like that of revenge. But you still have to question, why did it happen? What did this guy do to justify that? Not that there is any justification, but why? Why the rage? Revenge-based murders can happen for, I don't know, a variety of reasons. Maybe it was an affair, an unpaid debt, damaging someone's property, being screwed over, or an off-color remark. You can actually loosely tie this to the theory above, a homosexual made joking remark which angered someone enough to where they wanted to show them what for. Now, that's just speculation, but you can take it with a grain of salt. I'm not a detective, but... When you think about it, this was triggered rage. This guy did something to trigger someone into doing what they did. Number three, maybe it was a serial killer. Oh, that's one of the third and final theories. Lots of people out there tried to connect unsolved murders together for some inexplicable reason. Some are just aching to be one that connects the dots. And other people just want to see patterns where there are none trying to make sense out of the senseless but in this case it wasn't some no-name joe schmo this was a reporter named stephanie sylvie and stephanie apparently has a pretty good background and really good at what she does back in 2004 she had posited that the case could be tied to a serial killer james cable like we told you about earlier but nothing ever came of that theory But we do know that Cable was responsible for raping and killing a total of four young girls between the ages of 7 and 15. It wasn't until he was in prison that DNA connected him in the serial murders, though. Of those girls, not of this guy. So what caused police to take this connection seriously were two things. First of all, one of Cable's victims was murdered in Owensboro. The second is that Cable raped and dismembered them, just like he did this John Doe. But... Again, it's worth noting that Cable has, on average, only murdered young girls. So this goes against his M.O. completely. There's no evidence whatsoever to point in the direction of him having murdered any boys or men. And to make matters even worse, Cable died on December 3rd, 2013, and he never confessed to a single crime that he was convicted of. In spite of all that, police are still looking at this very seriously. In 2015, a Kentucky State Police spokesman issued the following statement that the last time detectives received a possible lead in the case was back in May of 2015 when the department got information about a potential suspect in other killings. 
That lead was investigated through DNA evidence, but investigators determined there was no connection to the John Doe body found in Owensboro on Pleasant Valley Road. It's never been specified if they were talking about Cable or another unknown serial killer who's either on the loose or in prison for other crimes. But since there's been a big-time lack of updates in this for this many years, I kind of doubt that lead went anywhere. Don't miss the program everyone's talking about, The Mountain Mysteries Gatherings, every Thursday at 9.05 p.m. on our YouTube channel and on Facebook. It's definitely worth the watch. Follow The Mountain Mysteries on Facebook.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries, on Instagram at Instagram.com forward slash The Mountain Mysteries, and support us on Patreon. Links are on the homepage, www.themountainmysteriespodcast.com. If you enjoy The Mountain Mysteries, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. That helps us so much. You can also help support The Mountain Mysteries by visiting our sponsors, whose links are below, or by donating at Patreon or the PayPal link shown in the notes. Patreon subscribers will receive early commercial-free episodes and more. Production of Sloan Studios. Stay mysterious.